You are listening to The Scope, a podcast dedicated to having open conversations about healthcare topics relevant to our patients and community. Today, we're talking about making rural America healthy again. Let's get started. Today, our guest is Jason Meadows, a pharmacist at Phelps Health. Welcome to our show today, Jason. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. I know you have your own podcast, mm-hmm. so we're going to try to do something a little different this time. We're, uh, we're filming. We're not just recording. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started, I would love if you would just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your background. Sure. Well, I'm from the area. Uh, I'm from, I was born and raised outside of Cuba, so just down the road. Um, you know, my family has a lot of history in the area. My dad... His family moved up here from the boot heel in the 50s. So as soon as uh, when my granddad got back home from World War II, he was in the Navy in, in Hawaii, actually. And after he got back, they moved up here because they had family up here. And so that's kind of how my family got started up here. My dad was a, he owned a sale barn in Cuba. And he had a, I mean, if you still sell cattle around here from the, uh, 70s through the 90s you know you probably know my dad Mm -hmm. um and so my brother same deal he worked that with my dad too so you know we had a history in the area of of being cattle producers um but we also have a history of pharmacy my brother-in-law actually owned the pharmacy in cuba for several years and that's where i worked at through high school and that was the reason i went to pharmacy school uh, the first place, uh, my summer jobs were, uh, when I wasn't working on the farm for my dad, I was delivering medicine for my brother-in-law. So, uh, you know, I've had this connection with both worlds for such a long time. Um, I came back here in 2000, I graduated college in 2008, worked at the hospital. That's actually where I met my wife. My wife was a nurse in the ICU at the time. We were married about a year later. I actually left, worked for my brother-in-law as a pharmacist for a year mm-hmm. and came back. I've been back, been back at Phelps Health for since 2010. Wow. So, so you just missed us that much. Missed it that much, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, the, uh, the big, big thing hold, pulling me back now. I love my job. I love being here, but the biggest thing pulling me back was, uh, coming back and getting health insurance, you know, yes. because Carrie got pregnant with twins. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Won't it'll it? do it, you know. So, I mean, the, it, it was bigger than me at that point. You know, I had I have possibilities of owning a pharmacy someday that was was in my plans. But, mm-hmm. you know, being back here and I, I don't regret any decisions. Then it was the best one of the best decisions I've ever made to be back That's here. really great to hear. Yeah. I love that. Um, so whenever you were talking about, you know, your whole family is kind of had almost like two lives. So you've been cattle producers, but then on the opposite side of this, you a lot of you guys have worked in the, the medical field, clinical facing, you've been pharmacists. So what has that been like for your family? Because you're doing so many different things. Yeah, I mean, you just um, balance. I don't think that's the right word because I don't think that's anything that's you're able to achieve. Mm-hmm but just trying to make sure that the appropriate thing is the appropriate attention at the right time. Um, you know, then you add in family dynamic type stuff to it too. Um, you know, you try to make sure that everything gets the attention when it deserves it. So one of the things that you do outside of work on top of everything else that you do is you have this podcast called Ag State of Mind, which I think is really cool. Um, tell us a little bit about the focus of that podcast and kind of what inspired you to begin it because you have like what over, 50 some odd episodes or probably uh, 75 this yeah, week which yeah which is amazing congratulations yeah. thank you yeah it's been um you know it was something where 
I've been wanting to combine the two somehow, my perspective on agriculture and my perspective on in healthcare for a really long time now. And it was something that I probably wanted to start sometime when I was in college, mm -hmm. uh, but I never really could figure out how. And then same, same when I was going through trying to figure out both ways. Um, but then I got really interested in mental health, mental health care. I thought about well, maybe there's some way to make a, some sort of integrative care team here at Phelps Health. Uh, that never, I mean, that was never more than an idea in my head, but then I just decided, hey, what's the best way? I can just reach the most amount of people uh, with a single effort, but it also be coming solely from me, you know? Um, and I think the, just the podcast was the best way I found out how to do that. That was in 2019. And I, I never thought that it would be, I thought I would get like eight, 10 episodes and you know, then we'll see after that. But it just, it took off. It got so much traction, people paying a lot of attention yeah, it's kind to of it. Blown up on it really has. It's never, that was never something I anticipated. And, you know, led to me meeting some really great people and having some really, really interesting conversations and insightful conversations. And I think it's something that's, helping people out, which is, and not only is it helping people out, it's helped me out too. Um, you know, I didn't say this, but I, and about, I've been very, very frank about it in uh, my podcast and in my writing and everything is that I've had struggles with my own mental health. Um, it's a hard thing to talk about, which I'm yeah. sure we'll get into in a little bit, but, um, you know, it being able to, Connect me with these people, but also connect me with some um, some resources. Connect me with some sound tactics to make myself better. And so it's been it's been good for me as well. So I mean, it's just been a it's been a really cool thing that I've been able to do. Yeah, you know, I think um, whenever I was looking into how what types of questions am I going to ask for this this podcast? How do we make rural America healthy again? Man, that's so broad. Mm -hmm. And I started looking up specific questions about farmers and, you know, rural, rural America in general. And it was really difficult to find resources because I'm, I'm from Salem, Missouri. I'm from a really, really sure. small town as well. And so I think what you're doing is really probably resonating with a lot of people who are in similar situations as you and I. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the first questions I want to ask to just dive right in is, what are some of the challenges that we often face in healthcare settings in rural communities? The number of, I think the biggest thing is, so when we, I think when you see this from like an outside looking in, you see it as, you know, small community, small town doesn't need that many providers. But what we don't understand is we serve such a big community, you know, I mean, yeah. Rala, you know, let's, 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 Take Rolla, for example. You know, it's 20,000 people, one hospital. That seems like it's enough, right? Yeah. But there's all, it serves all these outlying areas yeah. and they are all, they're all funneling in here. And it's, it's, it's not hard to run out of providers, run out of uh, stuff to do where that's maybe not the case in an urban area where the, I feel like the provider's load matches the population. And I feel like that's something that we're probably, that's one of the biggest things that we're dealing with. Another thing that we're dealing with is just the, as far as mental health care is concerned, is the willingness to be treated, to be seen for it. Because, um, you know, there's such a stigma that 
that that is surrounding that and uh, people don't know necessarily how to go about that or that they should go about it. And um, you know that's a huge obstacle that healthcare providers in a rural setting have to face. I mean, it's uh, because we've been we've been taught and been conditioned to believe that we have to take care of ourselves. You know, we we have a very independent, strong spirit, and that's good. I mean, that's a that's a thing that doesn't need to be discounted because it's got us through a lot of hard times. But in the same same breath, it doesn't lend itself to trying to get outside help very often. So it's kind of a it's almost like a paradox. Yeah. So that that also makes me think about whenever you talk about the stigma on rural healthcare and mental health, I can think of dozens and dozens of people um, because I also have struggled with mental health, mm-hmm. and so I often will just tell people, yeah, I go to a therapist, and I think it's amazing, mm-hmm. and I love seeing the looks on people's faces because it takes them aback, especially in these types of communities. Right. So do you think that's something that um, people struggle with as well? Is just being able to have those types of conversations? Yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not a bad thing. To want to take care of your mental health. And I'll take it a step further is people don't even necessarily know what uh, counseling or therapy looks like. I was having a conversation with a, with a woman today who reached out to me. She's in, uh, she's actually in Denver now, but she's from a, a small farming community in Kansas. And she said, you know, something that I think is needed among the rural, uh, rural population is for someone to sit down and like, kind of lay out what therapy or counseling may look like because mm-hmm. it's probably a bit different than they have in their mind. So, I mean, that's a bit of, that's a little bit of the, uh, I didn't think of that perspective until I talked to her today. You know, just, and like you're saying, you say you go, you've been to see somebody mm-hmm. and talked about that experience. Um, more people talking like that and making see, hey, you know, normal people do yes. this, right? Yeah. It should be normalized. Exactly. It be just like going to your primary care provider to make sure that, you know, your body is functioning correctly because your mind is part of your body. Well, that's the thing about it. I mean, it's why, you know, you would not fault somebody for going to see their primary care for high blood pressure, diabetes, mm-hmm. high cholesterol. Brain health is no different. Behavioral health is no different. It's, in fact, it may be more integral because it controls everything else. I mean, it's a lot of things are stem from that. And, um, it's, it should be at least paid as close attention to. Yes. One example I always love to talk about, we did a podcast last year with Pam Gray and she talked about, you know, stress and anxiety and all these things, they directly affect like your weight Mm -hmm. and how much you eat or how much you exercise. And if you don't take care of your mental health, it's going to affect your physical health at some point in time. Yeah, and that's what I've been trying to get across on the podcast too. Is you know, health is a it's a holistic topic. Mm-hmm. It's not something where you can separate. Oh, let's take care of our mental health now. We'll take care of our physical health in a little bit, or vice versa. Yeah, you can't put it in boxes. Yeah, it's, no, it's not. I mean, they all. It's an interconnected system where they all, everything works together. So as you've been doing all these podcasts, because you just said that you've done your seventy fifth one, mm-hmm. so. You've gained all of this knowledge from all of these, you know, rural communities and these farmers. And I know you even did one, I think that was overseas, right? Couple, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how, from talking to these people, what are some of their examples of how rural areas can kind of help improve the health of their communities? Well, you know, be a leader, I think is the big part of it. Um, there has to be somebody out in front to willing to, because there's, Let's face it, we're, we're rolling a, snow, a snowball up a mountain. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's going to 
it's going to get a little bit easier every time we get somebody behind that ball and keep rolling it. So, but you know, it has to, it has, but it has to happen. Those people have to get behind that and they, there has to be, you know, one person started out and then a few more, then a few more, then eventually it's going to keep going. I mean, we're a long ways from there, but um, we're getting more and more people who are behind that. And I think that's the key is showing people, normal people like you and I showing them that it's, these are normal things to talk about. It's okay mm-hmm. to talk about it and it's okay to share your struggles. And I think that's a big part of the problem is people aren't comfortable sharing their struggles. Um, they're comfortable sharing the easy parts, but the hard parts is not so much the case. And, um, it makes them feel very vulnerable, but at the same time, if they know that it can really help somebody out, um, I think they're the community spirit of rural America will shine through. Yeah, that you make a really great point with that too. And that also makes me think about our hospital system and how unique and special it is. Because often whenever you go to a primary care provider, you know them probably mm-hmm. personally. Right. You don't get that in these large urban areas. No, no. And so I think that really makes a difference. Um, so that kind of leads me to my next question. What can the hospital systems do to help educate the public on these types of like mental health issues? I think finding people who are willing to talk about it again finding people from the community and I, and that's a, that's a thing that um, I think rural America is really good at is sniffing out a phone that's something that we you know is to be contended with but at the same time it's something that we can use to our advantage mm-hmm. finding people who are willing to who are part of that culture part of that demographic who are willing to speak out about it and willing to share their story that's that's a you know the, the, the healthcare systems finding those type of people and, and, and getting them to tell put their story out there, huge. That's I and mean, that's huge for for community effort. So something that you mentioned too, we whenever we talk about community effort, my mind immediately goes to farm families because you're a farm family, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. my family, they date back generations in Salem as well. And so I think about how Many of my family members probably don't have access to health insurance or they don't come in until it's too late and they've already had like a major cardiac event, at which point they probably could have prevented if they would have taken care of like their mental health or if they would have just gone in to see a a PCP. So how do we prevent those types of circumstances from happening? So, and somebody, uh, my friend, Adrienne DeSutter, she does a lot of work. She's from Illinois and she does a lot of work in the same uh, area as me. Uh, in fact, I'd say she's 10 times better than me because she's just, she's so good at it. Um, but she, uh, she told me once and she didn't come up with this herself, but I can't remember who came up with it, but uh, I always credit it to her. <laughs> when you I mean, deal with farm families, people who are, are, are on a farm, they, they're very familiar with maintenance, right? I mean, mm-hmm. maintenance of their cow herd, maintenance of their machinery, uh, maintenance of, everything all the assets around Mm -hmm. uh, why would themselves be no different and i think when you start getting people into that mindset to thinking that they are an asset to their farms asset to their families then they can start taking care of themselves a little bit better um, if they see that they that everything doesn't work right if they are not taken care of just like a tractor if you don't train the oil on the tractor it's going to burn up you know if you don't vaccinate your cow herd you're going to have disease same thing with you. If you don't do the maintenance on yourself, taking care of yourself, both physically and mentally, then you're not you're not going to be you're going to burn out. You aren't going to be a peak performance. 
And that makes me want to ask you another question. Why are farm families such an asset to rural America? Oh, they're what just... What value do they provide? Oh, my gosh. They're just... They're, they're just... They're such a... I keep coming back to this idea of this, this, this saying of community mm -hmm. and that's what they create. I mean, these farm families, they're the ones who are volunteering at the schools, mm -hmm. volunteering at your churches, at, at all these things. They're coaching your little league games. Um, they're cooking at, uh, at the, at the concession stands and stuff. They're volunteering. It's just, uh, they make that and they do it and they do it as, as, it's fun for them. They don't do it because it's mm -hmm. like an obligation. They do it because they enjoy it and they enjoy the community that they bring to it. And uh, you know, having those communities and as, again, like you say, that generational people passing down those traditions, that's what keeps that spirit alive, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think that's so special. And to me, it's almost like they do this to the detriment of their health sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so important that we help educate them on Hey, you're an asset. If you want to keep coming and working this hot dog stand, if you want to keep working your farm and doing all of these things, you have to take care of yourself. You can't fill from an empty cup, right? Right, exactly. So it's that type of concept to me. For sure, yeah. So on one of your podcasts, you talked to this guy whose name is Dave Pratt, who mm -hmm. owned uh, Ranching for Profit Schools, which I think is really, really cool. But mm -hmm. we won't get into that. We don't have time for that. Today. Sure, sure. So he mentioned a concept that I think really kind of applies to healthcare, and it's called owner value, which is who, what, when, where, and why. And I think this is really, really unique to healthcare and the idea of how do we define owner value in healthcare and really get people to start investing in themselves in a way that they understand. And almost you kind of answered this mm -hmm. by saying, hey, you're an asset. You need to take care of yourself, right? Yeah. And so I think it's so cool to listen to all of these farming podcasts and say, no, this also is applicable in healthcare. Right. And that's what the thing about it is, is I, I did a podcast on agriculture because, I mean, that's where my passion is. That's mm -hmm. what I love. That's what I do. That's what my family does. That's who I care about. Um, that's who I wanted to serve. But the lessons that are learned within it are applicable for everyone. I mean, not even just rural people. I mean, across the board, all the people that I talk to, they have such incredible value to bring people that anybody can pay attention to it. I mean, I, I, I know of people in cities that listen to the podcast, not because they are... Uh, Trying to move to the stairs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they, they, found, uh, they found valuable information in the guest. And... Um, that's something that we can all apply to ourselves is, you know, you talk about owner value, you talk about the things that, uh, bring you not just, not just monetary value, but, but joy in your life and make you feel good, make you feel happy. And that's a part of health too, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that you're enjoying yourself because if you do things that you enjoy, there are as many things you can that you enjoy, then you are going to be healthier. I mean, I think it's, I think it goes without saying. So how does that work in your personal life? If you can give this example, because I know that you do a lot of different things. Yeah. So how do you find this intrinsic value in this almost, I'm going to call it contentedness, right? Mm -hmm. Because for me, that's a definition. That's a great definition of happiness and joy is finding contentedness and in, in the average everyday things, such as, you know, going out and working the farm and then coming in and filling prescriptions or whatever it is. It's a good question because it's something I, I mean, I'll, I'll admit I struggle with it from time to time, but it goes back to what I think we talked about in the very beginning and like not, there's not really anything like balance. There's mm -hmm. something that everything takes the appropriate attention at the appropriate mm -hmm. time. I mean, I've got a wife and four kids who are starting baseball season right now and it's a, it's, it's 
crazy. Uh, we live, I mean, we live 12 miles outside of town, you know, so I mean, my wife's going back and forth doing that. And, you know, I've got a farm, a job here where I work 40 yes. hours a week, then a podcast, and we opened a yoga studio in Cuba. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we're doing a lot of things, but um, making sure that we take the time and it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be, I always say this, you, can, you have to take some breaks. Breaks can be five minutes, five seconds, or sometimes five days. You know, like you have to work some breaks in there. You have to be really, I think the word that comes to mind is intentional. You have to be really, really intentional with your time. And, you know, we all have the same amount of time in our day. Every single one of us has 24 hours, seven days a week. You know what I mean? Um, it's up to us how we spend them. And I found myself being much more intentional with how I spend that. I don't know the last time I watched TV. You know what I mean? Because I just, not that I can't say that I don't have time for it, but I don't want to make the time for it. There's other things that are more important to me. Mm -hmm. So um, there's this analogy that uh, it's actually more like an anecdote that Dr. Stephen Covey talks about the big rocks in the sand. Have you ever heard this? Yes. You know what I'm talking about, where the best way to, the, the only way that you can make sure you get those big rocks in that bucket is to put them in first. Mm -hmm. So the big rocks for me are obviously work, uh, my family, farm, podcast, yoga studio, mm -hmm. and church. All those things. Those are my six big things. Put Making sure those get fit in first. Then the little things can slide in in between them. But if I don't get those in first, uh, and that's for every single person to, uh, to decide what's important to them. What's in, you know, mm -hmm. everybody gets to decide. That's what the great thing yeah. about it is. Everybody gets to decide what the rocks are. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, because maybe for somebody else, Netflix is the rock. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and I don't want to discount uh -huh. because some people really yeah. enjoy that. But I don't enjoy it enough to make time for it. Right. So, well, your value set is different. Everybody, yeah, everybody has their own value for set. For sure, yeah. Um, what are some of the stressors that you think farmers have faced over the past few years that maybe could be attributed to some of the, the massive stress that they're facing right now? Yeah, I mean... Gosh, there's a lot of things, and I talk about these things, and I'm going to try and remember them. Um, you know, trade is, trade's a big thing as far as who's, you know, who's going to buy the products. Mm -hmm. What are the prices going to be look like? All of that. Um, weather. Weather has been kind of a nightmare over the last few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's any different, but it seems like these last couple of years have been really tough. I mean, we're just coming off this cold snap that was... A nightmare for us um, and then the tensions between like consumer and producer seem to be I wouldn't say tensions but like disconnect I think is probably a better word where people on one side of the, the consumer side of the supply chain are totally not understanding what's happening on the producer side and vice versa so I mean somebody who's eaten a steak in New York probably doesn't understand the life of someone who's raising beef in the middle of Missouri. Um, you know, so that's a big, that's a big thing that I think has really come on and is very unique to this time in agriculture. Um, you know, the last time the eighties were really tough for farmers. Um, but I don't think they had to contend with that as much as we do now. And I think the world's gotten smaller, um, but also even though it's smaller, it's gotten more disconnected, more polarizing. Um, so, I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of things that factor into it. 
So whenever you talk about this, one thing that I really thought about was the weather. Let's talk about that cold snap because I saw a lot of people on Facebook. Because I'm from Salem, a lot of people own cattle. Mm -hmm. And I saw a few people have lost their calves. Mm -hmm. How difficult it, are those types of environments? Because a lot of people were really excited that they got snow days and they were out of school for like two weeks. But that's actually a really difficult, terrible type of circumstance for you guys, right? It's tough. It's really tough. And, um... Man, I got to watch it because I'll start getting teary-eyed here um, because it was a very taxing time on me and my family. Um, we weren't calving. Thank mm -hmm. I made the decision last year because, you know, if you the thing about the cattle business is any decision that you make doesn't, you don't, like, reap the benefits or, like, suffer through them for a really long time because, like, so let's take, for instance, calving season. Mm -hmm. You have to decide your calving season nine months in advance okay. because that's how long a gestation period is for yeah. cows 283 days very close to a human mm -hmm. and but you have to make that decision usually we would be we would have been calving in yeah. february but last summer i said i'm going to change it i'm going to try and make it to april um you know try green grass warmer weather everything hopefully be easier and you know that's going to mean that my calves aren't going to be as heavy at the end but it was a it was a sacrifice I was willing to make yeah. for my peace of mind. Um, well, it turned out really well for us yes. because we didn't have anything. Well, we had one, but it was everything was fine. Mm -hmm. um, I think the bull must have gotten out or something. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that that turned out really well. But I know so many people it didn't, yes. and there were. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been there, calves in in my bathroom at night. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but for me, like what I went through. Uh, it was up at four every morning, got yes. nice, mm -hmm. you know, ice this thick you know, on four different farms. Um, then my kid, thankfully my kids were out of school so they could do some stuff when I was up, when I was at work. And then yeah. I come up back and I do it all over again. Mm -hmm. It were, it was 14, 15 hour days and it would have been longer if we would have been calving, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, man, that was really, really tough on me. Tough on our family, tough on a lot of families like mine. Um, because they, you know, they lost, a lot of people lost animals, not just calves, cows too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, the ponds freezing and people, cows falling mm -hmm. through the ice, losing them. And it's just like, you know, you, it's hard enough anyway. Things are hard enough as they are, but then to add something of freak yes. weather event like mm -hmm. that into the mix. Yeah, and then you go back to, to this idea of, you know, mental fortitude, and a lot of people as farmers think, well, it's it's fine, we'll get through it, we've always gotten through it, but I think it's okay to, to take a moment and say, this is really tough and this is really difficult, and I think it's okay that our family isn't okay right now. We've yeah. been working like 100 hours a week. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that's the thing I did, had to do myself, it's just like, you have to... There's this saying in the military, you know, I'm not, I wasn't involved in the military, but I know a lot of people that are, um, it's called embrace the suck. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you just kind of got to recognize that things are tough. And if you recognize that things are tough, don't sugarcoat it. Don't put it away, but recognize that it's tough, acknowledge that, and then get mm -hmm. through it anyway. That makes it much, I don't want to say easier, but it, you, you seem to get through it better. Yeah, it's interesting listening to you say that, you know, embrace the suck because I have a list here and it's pretty long of, you know, some of the farm family stressors like 
physical and mental um, chronic health problems, not just for, you know, the person, but for their whole family, depression, anxiety, um, suicide, injuries, opioid misuse, loneliness, social isolation, because a lot of times you're out by yourself cutting that ice, right? You don't have anybody with you. Um, inhibited decision-making, lack of access to health care, postponement of preventative care, because who else is going to cut that ice? Mm-hmm. If your kids are too young, you don't want to send them out by yourself, mm-hmm. or if your father is too old to do it, or whoever it mm-hmm. is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, concern of inability to pay for medical care costs. We run across that all the time in rural health care, mm-hmm. because Phelps Health serves a six-county region, and we run into that on a daily basis. And then juggling on and off work because not only do you own a farm, you also work a 40-hour work week and your wife also owns a business. And then you also have four kids mm-hmm. who are managing sports at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading this list and in my head, I'm like, how do you do it? You just do it. You just do it. <laughs> yes. You know, you, you accept the lifestyle, uh-huh. right? I mean, there's sacrifices that yeah. are involved in it. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we had to tell one of our kids that he we're not going to, he's not going to be able to, play. he's going to play baseball, but not travel baseball, mm-hmm. be it, you know, because we have to have, we all have to have limits, right? Yeah. And that's a huge commitment. It is. It is, you know, and it's all about having your boundaries, right? Yes. It's boundaries are a huge thing. And, um, you know, it's hard for me because I grew up, even though I'm the youngest of five, I basically grew up as an only child because I was so much younger than my siblings. So like, I never heard no a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? And here um, you are saying no. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I I have zero uh, perspective on that as a uh-huh. child. So, that's it's difficult for me as a father to put those boundaries on my kids because they weren't put on me very much. I mean, for a reason. You know what I mean? I mean, my mom and dad wanted me to have the best childhood they could. But, uh, you know, it's different. Yeah, different circumstances. Totally different circumstances. And... Um, but you know, it's good. We, they recognize, in fact, we were talking, um, just this week, I think. And, uh, I can't remember what, what, I can't remember what sparked the conversation. Um, but we were talking about, you know, would you rather live in town or live where we live? And even, even my kid that doesn't even like the farm. I had one, one of the boys just he'd care less. And he said, Oh no, I'm going to live on the farm. You know? So, I mean, <laughs> It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's there's sacrifices involved. You know, they don't get to maybe do quite as many things as some kids get to do, but they get to have a really cool life. So how do you know, um, you know, whether it's your kids or yourself or, you know, even your parents or somebody like that, how do you know when, when they need interventional help? Like, let's say you said no to them or maybe your parents are older and they just keep doing the same amount of workload and they just can't do it on the farm anymore. How do you know when to have that conversation? So you, you have to pay attention. Like, um, I had a, I had a podcast with Nathan Brown. He's a really good friend of mine. He's from Ohio. And he talked about this situation where, um, he had a friend call him to help. Uh, he needed, needed help loading some hogs, something like that. I can't remember exactly the, the whole situation. Um, and Nathan knew that it was something that was out of the ordinary for him to ask for help like that just because he just doesn't. Um, well, it turned out loading the hogs wasn't that big a deal, but instead he wanted to talk about his stressors. He wanted to talk about the things that had been bothering him, family issues, financial issues. And it would have probably been really easy for Nathan to tell him, 
oh man, my kids have got stuff. I'm busy. You know, I, I don't know if I can do that. But he didn't. He answered that call. He saw it. He recognized that something was different with him because he was actually asking for help. And I think that's a good lesson that all of us can relate to that if there's something out of the ordinary that somebody's talking about, uh, that, that you just notice it's just a little bit off with them, you know, pay attention, follow up on that because you never know what that kind of conversation. And, you know, that guy, it turns out, he went and got some help. He went and he's, in fact, he's a, he became a spokesperson for their local uh, counseling service in, in Ohio. And, you know, so, I mean, it was a great thing they did just because he wanted, you know, Nathan recognized the need to help, help out a friend. And I think that's, that's something we can all, again, recognize that when somebody's in need, answer the call. Yeah, I love that. So what I hear whenever you say that is, you know, recognize the need, answer the call, and follow up. Mm -hmm. Always follow up. Always follow up. Yep. I love that. I think that's that's really, really fantastic advice. Um, and kind of my last question to wrap us up is, how do we build resilient and healthy rural communities? I know that's a really broad question. It is a broad question, but, um, you know, it's a number of different ways. There's no, like, real prescription for it, um, except for to be as active in those communities as you can. You know, like I said, reckon, be a friend to your neighbors, be a friend to, not even your neighbors, be a friend to strangers in town. Um, let everybody know that you're there to help because, you know, that's what it takes. It takes people who are, um, who have that community spirit to, to build something like that and to continue the tradition that we have of these strong, strong rural communities because, you know, they're 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 the backbone of American life. I mean, I know more and more people are moving to urban areas, but the the found I feel like the foundation of modern American life was built on rural communities. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I um, lived in Springfield and moved back here, so it's it's really cool to to grow up in these types of communities. I think that's really special. And and that's another thing that you you almost like made a point for me there and getting people who are here who go away mm -hmm. getting them to somehow come back you know they go away get an education but oftentimes they stay away mm -hmm. but trying to draw those people back into these rural communities that are going to not necessarily i mean it'd be great if all these mental health care professionals would yeah, do they that. All just moved if in. they all move back, that'd be great. <laughs> we know that that's not necessarily, mm -hmm. but to keep attracting as yes. many people back mm -hmm. to the rural communities after they have left to um, obtain training of some sort. That's, that's a, I think that's going to be a big key going forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, thank you so much for being here for this conversation. Yeah, I think course. it was a really important conversation to have and I want to continue having these types of conversations. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So um, thanks so much for tuning into The Scope. If you liked our show and like to know more, check out PubPub.org.